0: Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Doctors Alice Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Denise e. Burns. You can watch us live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. Follow us on Facebook, subscribe on YouTube. Today our guest is Rev. Melanie Jones from a Womanist Perspective. This was recorded on March 15, 2021.
1: A powerfully, wonderful, wonderfully gifted woman of God, the Reverend Melanie C. Jones. She's a womanist ethicist, a millennial preacher, and intellectual activist. Jones joined the Union Presbyterian Seminary faculty as instructor of ethics. Let that let that let that slide on you. Black Union, woman. Union. Thank you. Teaching ethics at Union Presbyterian Theological and Culture and Inaugural Director of the Katie Geneva Canon Center for Womanist Leadership in fall 2019. Formerly, Jones served as the 2018-19 Crump visiting professor and black religious scholar in residence at Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas, and lecturer at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth, woo whoop, whoop. Um, American Baptist um, College in Nashville, Tennessee, Chicago Theological Seminary, and mm. the Illinois Institute of Technology in Chicago. Mm. She's well-learned, I mean, such a positive attitude this woman has. And she's always engaging. She's a third generation ordained Baptist preacher and sought after lecturer. Jones is an emerging millennial voice and noted academic and popular publications as well as features on tele- television, radio and news outlets. I want you to know that she is a PhD student and she'll tell you um, a little bit about that herself but a black sister, su- sister PhD student on the rise, and I'm so excited I want you to put in the chat section Welcome, Reverend Melanie Yay!
2: Hello! I'm so happy to be here With time and wisdom I mean, this invitation is certainly High in my uh, sense Because these are High Holy Days Women's History Month So thank you yeah. for inviting me high Holy
3: Days, I love it yes.
2: <laughs> When the women that. gather High Holy Days
1: <laughs> All right What did did Wim say? Um, A bunch of women around the table eating catfish and drinking some Kool-Aid? That's Mm -hmm. what's up. I can get with that. I can get (laughs) with (laughs) that. So Rev, what are you doing in these COVID streets? Listen.
2: I mean, you know, we've learned so much about ourselves in COVID times. Yeah. Um, not only, you know, how to think about we are all. I say, COVID nineteen has shifted mm-hmm. what we call in uh, the technologies of our faith. So, how we gather, how we connect, mm-hmm. how we, um, how we uh, worship. Right. All of those things have been changed. But in our personal and professional lives, you know, we have. Also, learned what we will tolerate, what's essential, and what's not. And so, part of that in our own self care, I like that, Dr. Chalice, that you are in your respite. Part of this season has made us all think more deeply about what it means to be whole and well and how we can do less of this and more of that in order to do so.
4: Yes,
1: I'm, I'm going Less of this and more of this. I, I like that. Um, we, I guess, we all need to do a little bit of more of this um, in order to be whole and sane and free, right? And she said, "What technology of our faith?" Yeah, wow.
4: is that wonderful?
2: the way we do it right technology speaks to how we do it so we've all had to shift our technologies Mm -hmm. in order to respond to this moment but ultimately have taught us lessons that we we've been needing some some rehauls for a long time Mm -hmm. some reformations for a long time
1: yeah because a lot of us are not a lot of us have not um stepped up to the plate into the technology world so now we're being forced to do so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, wow mm -hmm. Um, Reverend, Reverend Mel (laughs) (laughs) based on your work, what do you mean by black woman's
2: body politics? So that's a great question. You know, when we talk about black women, right, we are talking about the particularities of our experiences. At the intersections of race, we are not just Black, but we are also women, right? At the intersections of gender. But it's also a recognition that Black women have been among the most vulnerable populations in terms of, Katie Cannon would say, we have been the oppressed of the oppressed in American yeah. society. Meaning
4: yeah. yes.
2: often, um, even when we look at affirmative action cases and all kinds of things, often when they checked off right, that they have hired a black person, they get a check, and that's usually a black man. And when they've hired a a woman, it's usually been a white woman, right? Mm -hmm. And so we often are slid under the table or not given opportunities at all. Mm -hmm. But in terms of black women's body politics, um, part of my interest and my work has been in tracing this historical narrative that black women have been um, uh, marginalized in ways all the way from this sense from enslavement. Mm-hmm. That we've been seen as property, right? Mm-hmm. We've been seen as profit for slaveholding societies. Mm-hmm. We've been seen as um, profit, right? That we mm-hmm. could only produce, right? What they wanted us to produce in terms mm-hmm. of crop. And we've been seen as the reproductive breeding ground. So Ooh. our bodies have a particular way in which the assaults have been upon us. And those stories are literally etched in our bodies, right? Um, And so we have to do, if we're going to talk about liberation, then we got to do that in an embodied way because of that historical narrative.
1: Oh, wow. Can Can you speak to the teaching that has devalued the black woman?
2: Absolutely, I mean, we can point biblically, right? Um, This language uh, that has silenced women, one of the uh, things that is for the Women's History Month for 2021 is um, the International Women's Society determined it would be a carryover from last year and it would be valiance of the vote refusing to be silenced, right? And so when we think about that in terms of suffrage history, let's start there. Black women have had a complicated story, right, in terms of even when we showed up to be a part of supporting um, white suffrage women. And we were our own black suffragettes that those white women didn't reverse and be in the struggle for abolition with us, right? So that is the Sojourner Truths and the Nellie Quanders and all of the folks who were, who were part of that story. And then, I mean, Sojourner Truth and, and Jarena Lee Maria Stewart were asking questions early Mm-hmm. In terms of the silencing of black women, not only from our gender related counterparts in terms of women, but also right in the church, right? With our black male preachers who have silenced voices of black women all the way since Jarena Allen and, you know, on excuse me, Jarena Lee, mm-hmm. on them, right? Mm-hmm. So um, this this question about the teachings mm-hmm. that have devalued the black woman, Um, continue in a historical sense, but also in a contemporary sense, right? When we're taming women's bodies, telling them and policing them, telling them what they ought not wear, right? Uh, When we hear these Christmas sermons talking about, you know, women as barren and only marking our identity by our abilities to reproduce or not, right, is, is a devaluing. Women have so much more to offer. That is a part of what it means to be woman, but there is so much to what we give to our communities and what we give ultimately to churches as being the backbone of churches, often giving our resources, our treasures, everything we got and then y'all won't even put us on a program, but that's another, you know, that's another so conversation. Did, uh-uh, Say more. Say more. Say more. Say more. So, I mean, in that way, when we talk about devaluing the teaching, is evident in the practices, right? As a, I am Baptist um, by 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 training, by origin, bred in the Black Baptist Church, but even in the Baptist Church. Baptist churches have been furthest behind in their abilities to fully embrace women in ministry. We're looking to our Methodists and, um, you know, all of our other kinds of traditions, Protestant traditions and others to give us the way because there are local churches who still do not value women in ministry. So it's important, not only that we claim both our status, but we all, we already been speaking, right? We already have been living into the fullness of our cause. In fact, if we're honest, then the church wouldn't be where it is at all if black women, right, weren't a part of it and doing the work. I like what Cheryl Townsend Jill says, if it wasn't for the women, if it wasn't
3: for the women, there would be no church. There would be no church.
2: That's how so I love it.
3: I love it. I, I, I'm really happy, uh Reverend Dr. Uh Melanie. Uh at, at the ITC we say soon to be doctor, we just call That's you right. the Reverend Doctor. Anyhow, was that? Anyhow, yeah. anyhow. Uh but I'm curious about uh black women. <laughs> and Black and black women oppression, oppressing other Black women. Uh, and, and not only that, but really, if you could speak to how we are raising our children, which say about eight, 85, 90% of all Black children are raised in single-family homes where the woman is the head of the household. And yet we have so many black men or black boys who devalue. Are we not teaching them correctly? How should we be teaching them? And why are black mothers uh, not having a stand on black boys and men violating black women's bodies?
2: Yeah. You know, I think the first point of that is, Patriarchy is seductive. Right. Um, and it tokenizes in ways that think we have more privilege and access than we actually do, which speaks to some of the reason why we have this kind of intracommunal strife between black women against black women often. Um, and uh, because we belong to traditions that have not wholly valued our perspectives and influences, mm-hmm. then we create and are a part of perpetuating cultures and traditions that do not value the black woman who sits beside us, right? That That's socialized, that's learned behavior. You don't wake up one morning and just start hating You know, someone else. This is a part of a culture, a practice and tradition that says it's okay if someone else doesn't advance on the side of you or a kind of culture that suggests that it's not enough for all of us, right? That Mm -hmm. there are these myths. mm -hmm, These myths that exist, that there is not an abundance. So as a result, right, we become contentious about the need to advance over and against the other because there's some sense that we can't have it all. And I I absolutely disagree. I mean, I think we not only serve a God who is a God of an abundance, right? Mm -hmm. But there really is a seat at the table for all of us. There is something that we all bring that we all can share and the uniqueness and the particularity, which in which God has designed us, illustrate to us that if God took enough time Mm -hmm. to create you as you are, then there's some value for you to be here at the table that's different than what I bring, right? Right. That's right. Um. So I think that's the first part of it. The second part of it, if we point back to Hagar's story in the Bible, oh. right? Um, in Genesis, well, that was last week's story, <clears> twenty-one. <throat> I, I heard I heard the recording. So uh, I'm always thinking about you know Dr. Weems and Dolores Williams and their work, Sisters in the Wilderness, to really tell us about the challenges that Black women have had. Hagar was an Egyptian woman, right? Mm-hmm. That black women have had in terms of not only being in the midst of love triangles, right? Um, mm-hmm. But also um, having to navigate motherhood, right, while raising sons. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this sense, when we talk about single mothers and, and what they um, bring to mm-hmm. helping to raise their sons with a kind of uh, a value for Black women, I think it points to, back to what Hagar did. What she did was after you know, um, she had been out in the wilderness for a time, the first thing that she does was she pairs her son to marry an Egyptian woman, which also for her in many ways ensured that her legacy would be a part of his lineage. Mm -hmm. But it also was a reminder that if you don't value me, then you will value others like me. Right, so um, in this sense, I think what what we're what we learn from Hagar and what we see that is helpful even for black single mothers is to not only um, help our black men to see them and to treat them with a kind of sense of respect that they'll ultimately translate that into other relationships. Right, so if if it ain't working at home, then how can we expect? for it to be for, you know, black men to begin to treat black women that they encounter with better, more positive understandings of who they are.
0: Well, um, thank you, um, Reverend Doctor. Um, I want to say this to our viewing audience. I noticed something in the comments. I noticed that when we were talking about the oppression of women, that, were, that was coming from other men, especially in black men. Wow, you guys were rolling in the comments. You were just rolling. But then when the question was asked about, well, black women who are raising their sons and then um, Reverend Doctor began to talk about our devaluing um, of each other, it was like crickets. I, it was crickets from you all in the comments. So I, I, I find that just to be strangely interesting um, even with our viewing audience that, yeah, we can go like here. Yeah. The man's doing this, but wait, no, wait, you you talking about us. Wait, uh, hold, hold up for a second. And so I have this question. Why do you think women resist the authority of other women who are in power?
2: Mm. You know, I, I I think it really points back to, again, this sense of power, right? I already talked about patriarchy and its seduction, but power and its seduction in terms of one of the things that I do is I lead a center, the Katie Geneva Cannon Center for Womanist Leadership. And we often talk about when it comes to leadership, if we're going to do it the same way we've seen our male counterparts do it, then I'm actually not interested in that kind of leadership from women. I'm interested in the 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 womanist leadership, I would say, that is concerned with valuing the community, right? That is deeply affirming and understanding that we bring unique gifts to the table, right? That practices engage leadership, not that sits back. From a hierarchy, from a platform, and looks down, but it's so deeply kind of um, organic and connected to our communities that we share and we distribute resources in ways that pass and share knowledge. I also think, you know, I, I've been thinking about uh, this construction of our concepts of power. Um uh, Many of you know that the Katie Geneva Cannon Center for Womanist Leadership, we're planning our spring virtual spring conference um, coming up in April, uh, virtual online. So join us if you have not already heard about it. But we've invited Alicia Garza. Um, who has recently wrote a book called "The Purpose of Power," and she breaks down for us in in both her work but also in in her uh, keynote to us ways in which we've misunderstood the power that we already have, right that 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 even for powerless communities, there's some power that we already possess, and we need to tap into those gifts. Right. Those ways in which. And when I say when I speak of that power that we already have, I'm talking about, right, the ways in which, you know, we can make ways out of no way. Those kind of resourceful gifts, the ways that we could take our little and make it much (laughs) when we had, you know, more month than money, the way the kind of woman with the wisdom that we timely wisdom, right, that we have already a part of our traditions and inherited in our cultures. Mm -hmm. And when we tap into those sources, one by one, we illuminate beyond the ways in which power structures have been against us. We illuminate that we've always been pushing back and that pushback has ultimately helped us to define and form a new path for ourselves.
1: Wait, wait! I want you to stay right there because you keep talking about um, women in power, how um, women resist women in power. But in that same vein, why do you, why do women hmm, oppress other women? Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know this. This, I, I think, again, it, it's this sense of wanting to see ourselves, uh, not always understanding the value we have in ourselves, that will cause us to be the first line of defense for another woman's advancement, right? Right. And and there are structures, right, that are designed to ensure that we're never meant to survive, Mm. that are designed to ensure that we do not have, that we don't have access to, And part of our work, um, part of of our womanist work, if you will, um, is to uh, value what is already belonging to our cultures, our systems, our traditions. Right. That have always pushed back against those systems that said we should have never been here. So so part of that is, you know, in our own affirmation seeking, right, how have we been a part of the community that validate other women, right? Even as, I mean, this space right here is about not only are we amplifying the voices of the co-hosts, but every week y'all bringing in other voices, right, to be in conversation with to say we we got some good going on amongst us, but there's always more value when we invite someone else in. And mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I think Solange has it right. There's a seat at the table for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of our our what we have to be confident in is that we need to not only look for tables that have excluded us, but be a part of the business of creating our own tables. I don't oh. want to sit. At, at all them tables. I don't know how to eat at those tables. I don't like what they serving, right? But I know that I can create spaces where, where my folk, right, will, will not only be valued, but they will also enjoy this space and enjoy this community.
1: I just want you wow. to see Dr. Dr. Simmons' comments here. Yeah, um, She too. Um, By the way, how you doing, Dr. Simmons? And and, and Dr. Farrell will come behind that as well. Go ahead, Dr. Brown. You're so right. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're doing the same thing. I'm loving it. We are quiet because we don't want to tell the truth. We don't want folks to know that women have held their foots Mm -hmm. on our necks and that we've done it to to women too. Mm -hmm. And then she says, We don't value the gifts of poor, culturally powerless women because society has taught us to place our gaze elsewhere. That messed me up. Now, here you go, uh, Dr. Farrell. We participate in it, not supporting women in leadership, sometimes out out of fear and insecurities. We think if we make room for her, we are taking away space... For okay. ourselves, and that is simply not true, girl. Yeah. Would mm-hmm. yes. you just and, believe that? And and,
0: and, and, that and Tonya Coleman. Of-
1: oh, and
0: Tonya Coleman. And, and I appreciate she's highlighting what you said, and that just hits so hard that yeah. the first line of defense for other women's advancement—if wow. that—if we could see that in <laughs> ourselves, you know—that that we that that we're the first line of defense. But why? Because we're trying to help other women be able to rise up
1: to whatever their place
0: is, their purpose yeah. is. Yeah. Wow. Well, but
1: what did you wait? What did you say? Um you don't you don't want, you don't know how to eat at that table. Antonia says that they aren't serving catfish and Kool-Aid at those days. <laughs> 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 and
2: if they catfish and Kool-Aid, I ain't coming. <laughs> uh,
3: but but you know, know what? Kendi says, Ibrahim Kendi, I believe is his uh name. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he talks about racism is black on black oppression as well. Mm-hmm. And while I can see that as a bias, I'm, I'm struck by power systems that have taught us when we were knee high to a duck in the Baptist church, I'm a Baptist as well, mm-hmm. that we couldn't walk across the pulpit or we'll be struck dead. Um, we were not worthy wow. of being in the pulpit. I and know. if a woman preached, she had to preach from the floor wow. and she couldn't really Struck preach, she was too weak. Yeah. So, you And I heard you say that this is a socialization and it's been taught. So how do we deconstruct mm-hmm. that socialization? Struck dead? Struck. Struck so, dead so how, how did the preacher get think. his water? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> See, the thing he came from,
4: he came from under
3: the It's okay water. for you to be under. You mm-hmm. just can't be on top of the pool. or in the choir
1: mm-hmm. stand. You just have to mm-hmm. put it over, over the over the from the choir stand over to the pulpit. That's mm-hmm. right,
4: Okay, but you know we have this. Good. This is something. I, I hear what you're saying, Doctor Wallace, but I think it's something more deep seated. It's mm-hmm. something that goes beyond this because we spent so much time even. Preacher being taught how to tell on each other, how to tear each other down, Mm -hmm. how to manipulate each other, and so it goes pre this. And and until we get back to the village, Mm -hmm. it takes a village. Mm -hmm. The villages, the village has been totally broke apart. Our village used to say. Hey, I'm having a hard time. Where you got some money? Where you got some money? I got some money. What you got? What you got? Then that one person went down and paid it at whatever utility it was. Nobody did a discussion about it. It didn't matter. We just took, the village took care of it. But now the village wants to publicize it and put it on Facebook. Hmm. Girl, she can't even pay her bills. Girl, she can't even do this instead of covering Mm-hmm. Each other, because when you love somebody, mm-hmm. truly love somebody, and truly appreciate their anointing, you'll cover.
1: That's right. Wait, Dr. Wait, Dr. Wright, you keep talking about loving, though. You have to be able, mm-hmm. as Dr. John Jones said, you have to be able to love yourself in order right. to love somebody else. Exactly. And if we don't, if we're not in a in a community of loving ourselves, then how can you love anybody else?
2: Exactly.
4: Dr. Jones, you were you were about to say.
2: Yeah, you know, I think. There are layers, there are levels to this, right? So, on on the on the home front, in in response to Dr. Wallace, when we talk about racism, sexism, right, uh, patriarchy, all of these isms, these are social structures, social structures, social um, Mm -hmm. systems that are designed, right, to keep us from being able to connect. To gather, to find the divine and creative gifts within each other. <laughs> so on, on, on the outside of that, if we tease that onion, right, and we press in deeper, right, uh, beyond those systemic structures, often our responses. To those systemic structures is not to resist the structures and the powers that be, right? This is the construction of power that as we continue to recognize the systemic nature of power, we become less, um, uh, aware of where the power source is. We become less aware of who are our actual offenders. And as a result, we become our gaze is toward each other and we fight each other, right? As a way of thinking that we're ultimately undoing these systems. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, again, there are layers to this at work and part of our work is to resist, right? right? To say, despite the cultural traditions that suggest that, you know, she doesn't have value and I do, right? Resisting that is to force ourselves, it's a daily reckoning, right? Mm -hmm. To force ourselves to say, wait a minute, there's some value that she brings here. How Mm -hmm. do I also uh, support this as well as uh, be, be supportive or as well as claim my own sense of power? And the more and more that we start to recognize that value in each other, the more we will consciously and unconsciously resist a system that says, none of us got any value at all,
3: right? Amen. I, I just, I remember being the first person- a first generation. I'm sorry, guys. A no. first generation corporate America. Oh. And in corporate America, we could, it was taught to us that no more than three black people could be together it's, at exactly any one time. My mom. And then we said, wait a minute. Who, who are they to tell us who we can sit with and how many of us can sit? So you know what? It became the 16th floor bit with a with, uh, break room. Yes. So, so we decided we're going we're gonna to debunk this. Mm-hmm. So And that's the resistance I hear you talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really have to say a whole lot. You just do something different.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's the subversive ways in which we push back on systems that Katie Cannon would call it unshouted courage, right? This, Mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, this, this, this ability to um, uh, go up against these systems that have been unrelentless in trying to suppress and oppress. Mm -hmm. And, 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 you know, some of it is the sense of strategic organizing and networking in ways that um, situate us by being more in our communal sharing and then there are other times when we just need to confront systems toe-to-toe and be like, listen, nah, not today, right? We also have Black women who have stood up in that right and, and, and told these systems and powers and structures I won't be moved, right? I will not be silent, right? And so I think there is a a, a delicate mix. We, we mm-hmm. need all of that. We need multiple pathways um, in, in understanding our, our way to resist. Dr. Simmons has a
1: question How do you deconstruct our diseased Christian
2: imaginations? My, my, my. <laughs> so, you know, part of I, that, that's a deep question. Girl. <laughs> but, you know, it is this sense of our Christian imagination has been grafted right into our constructions of American identity. And once we begin to tease out (laughs) what is actually Christian and what is actually part of these American civil religious ideals, then we'll be pointing back to imaginations that are a part of Christianity that aren't at all Christian that have nothing to do with the gospel, right? At all. And and that that too it, it, it it takes us to to make those those that that point of discernment in order to tease that out. I'm speaking to this, you know, in light of you know, traditions and practices, things that we say ought to happen um, in terms of the gathering of faith communities. What do you mean when COVID-19 first started that we need to have debates about whether people should be doing uh, communion at home? Why is that a debate when all of our churches, in terms of the Christian tradition, early churches we're in houses. I mean, don't you remember Lydia? I mean, don't you remember all of these household churches that the formation of our religious communities were subversive, mm. were trying not to be persecuted, and so the worship and liturgy started in the home. So now we're having questions about whether it's appropriate to do communion at home. That is something else, but it ain't Christian questions of our imagination, right? So we had to do the work of saying, wait a minute, what actually is aligned with what we know to be gospel and what has been aligned with what we know to be a part of uh, a kind of American Christian sensationalism that has resulted in certain practices and behaviors that often deny the very witness of Jesus Christ that we know to be real.
1: Can you go deeper with that? Can mm-hmm. you go deeper? because um Dr. Burns and I were just talking yesterday about Christian is not Christian anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think she talked about it though on the genetics of white on our black spiritual identity Mm -hmm. and and understanding okay, well, everything that you say is Christian is really not Christian. You kill us in one breath and then holla, Mm -hmm. I'm Christian in the next breath. Right. No Christian. Sherry Lupton says, know your Christian history. It doesn't make sense.
2: Yeah. I mean, to that point, I tell everyone there is no gospel of Jesus Christ without women. So this, this, um, already what we've been talking about in this conversation in terms of the devaluing of women is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, everywhere Jesus went, not only was, I mean, we get the names of the, the chosen 12, but you can't miss the stories when when Jesus is corrected by the Canaanite woman, when Jesus is ultimately called into his own mission. Jesus, you say you're gonna be a liberator. Now, what about this woman who's been over, right? Mm-hmm. Who needs to be uh, liberated in a way that not only speaks to the particularity of her condition, but also to call out the hypocrites in her community that are in the synagogue guy, of course, suggesting yeah. that there yeah. are particular times when there should be healing, right? That, yeah. the. I'm Jones. I'm, I'm sorry. Reverend Jones scream. Oh, boy, say that, girl. All
0: right,
2: go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Right. <laughs> nah, go so ahead. those cultures and traditions, when we say what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I'm of the, of the pattern that women are always at the center of that. But in addition to that, anything that is oriented towards saving communities, anything that is oriented towards being concerned about the most vulnerable, right? Anything that is oriented towards their, is distribution of resources for all of us, right? Come to the table, come ye even the little children. For all of us, that's that's gospel. All that other stuff, y'all can leave it, but but that's gospel, right? And, and that's, that's what we need to be attentive to.
1: Mm-hmm. Girl, you messing Ooh. up in here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I want, uh, Burns, I want you to deal with that, R. Kelly. Go ahead and um, talk about that a little bit.
0: <laughs> You're muted. Wow. Um, I mean, she's already, I mean, what you've already said just for, for, for me, that 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 white, um, what I call I like to call that Euro American sense that we placed on on our own thinking. But but that's not not the question. But the, that boy, I could just I can stay all day right there just listening to that I'm um, with you because I just I believe that we have been deceived. In so many ways, um, and because of that, we don't even understand our our, our humanity, much mm-hmm. less our, our own spiritual being. But let me ask you this question: um, R. Kelly, um, R. Kelly, and and I understand that you're you're a millennial, and so you you wouldn't be as much aware of this as I am. But I'm 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 really talking about the R. Kelly back in the eighties, nineties. When I was in Atlanta and everybody knew what he was doing, didn't anybody say anything, all right? Would the community have been so agreeable if it had been Black boys or white girls that R. Kelly had this? Yeah.
2: So, I mean... I think y'all, y'all uh, chose this question for me because I'm from Chicago. So uh, <laughs> I know a few things about R. Kelly in terms of his own. I mean, he went to Kenwood High School. I mean, all of that in terms of his patterns are synonymous with my upgr- upbringing in that way. But uh, when we talk about R. Kelly, right, and we've already been talking about socialization and learned behavior. So. Yes. I think that this question of when we see surviving R. Kelly and everyone is saying from the series, I didn't know. Right. There Mm -hmm. is a culture. Right. That suggests when there is violence happening against black women and girls, there is no need for alarm. Right. It, it, It doesn't raise. Any, any concerns. It doesn't raise. And so we participate in perpetuating those cultures because we don't see Black women and girls often valuable enough for, for us to claim that harm has been done to them. But on the other side of that, right, whenever we talk about violence, assault, violation, um, even sexual assault and sexual violation, trafficking, trafficking, right? And we relate these to the biblical stories like a Judges 19, right? Or even like um, um, in the text when we hear of, of Tamar, right? And, and the these are communities who are a part of sustaining this kind of behavior. No offender just does it on their own, There were people who set him up literally um, in places and spaces who made provision for certain women to be in in his purview. Right. Who who set up certain times for them to interact and meet. And so part of that communal situation that is at work when we talk about offense. Right. We have to acknowledge that there is some participation of communities to sustain these kinds of behavior. And there's also a community that says, well, I wasn't there when he did it. I didn't know it was happening, but yet we've been silenced, right? And silent about it when we knew there was speculation. If there is cause for concern, let's raise it early and prove it to be innocent than to not raise it at all and find out on the other, other side of it that there has been tremendous harm. And and for a community I think we all got some work to do when we talk about the R. Kelly's and the Bill Cosby's and others. Right. Because we participated in sustaining cultures and traditions because we like what they produce for us. See, we are we, seduced by 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 what, what what we're entertained. Right. By their gifts that we don't call it also to accountability. To say, in order for you to keep producing music like that, let's change your behavior. And if we had did a pullout earlier, right, um, on on some of, particularly on R. Kelly, then maybe we might have seen even a transformation in himself because there would have been an economic impact.
1: Oh, hit hit the pocket. Mm-hmm. Way back with Aaliyah, my goodness. Ooh, uh, yeah, exactly, Dominique, um, Dr. Dominique Robinson, exactly. Oops. <laughs> we um I'd like to know from a womanist ethics standpoint, do women remain silent to be favored, refusing to speak to speak true to power?
2: Yeah. So so when, whenever we talk about womanism, let, let me just level set and say womanism is a prophetic social movement. Right. That takes seriously the experiences of black women. Um, and uh, also values and reclaims their bodies, their traditions, their experiences as primary sources for theological reflection and biblical interpretation. In the question, from a womanist perspective, have women participated in uh, kind of this sense that that they don't want to speak against what is happening because either they'll be comforted or they won't be Attacked or won't be identified as rebel rousers. Absolutely right. Um, there there is also a tradition of women who, right, have not um pushed the baton often, either in threat of persecution or in a sense that. That might limit the tokenization that they are experiencing in their own context. So, in order to keep their MRS, right, they also kept their mouth closed. Or, in order to keep some of this, they also did some of this. There is a a negotiation that all of us do, right, in terms of our when we're confronting power. But we also must know that while there might be Benefits for us in the short term for the long term. If the Zalofa head daughters never spoke out right for the long term, we might not be able to speak back to a tradition whereby women have been able to confront power and ultimately change the course of what we know to be as her story. Reverend, Dr. Reverend, Dr.
3: Reverend, Dr. Good God Almighty! Oh, oh, well, all right. Woo, woo, woo. That's good. That that is that's that's really good. We had a discussion um, last week as we were meeting, uh, not in the actual timely wisdom session, but we were talking amongst ourselves about. How, in my history or her story, women have kept silent to maintain a position, and I think that's what you just spoke to. Um, how either it's we are we're it's a matter of survival, which you know we all need to survive, but it's also a matter of maintaining position or of, of perceived power. Or the doorkeeper of who can come in and who cannot. So say more about um, this piece of the pie that we think is just limited, that in God is unlimited.
2: Yeah, you know, it's challenging, right? When we think about um, this reality of folks not understanding, again, that there's enough for all of us to have some and to live abundantly, right? Uh, Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And there really is a possibility for us to share and distribute resources in that way. But but part of, I would say, what would be sometimes and often is our challenge to um, believing that and knowing that to be true right, are the experiences of tokenization when one of us, right, is, is raised up or one of us is given the opportunity. And I point to um, uh, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris. I love this line that she says, I might be the first, but I won't be the last. And in this 21st century history, right, her story, first off, It's disappointing that we're still counting first. Right. But but we are. And since we are right, we've got to be committed to not only counting first, but sustaining communities in a way that when I leave as the first it's better than I inherited it. So that when the next person comes behind me, not only do I leave something for them, but it's a healthy culture that they are able to pick up and now run a little bit further. I often like um, this this narrative from Claudette Copeland. And, and she often talks about there were some women on one side of the brook and there were some others. And those who were on the other side of the brook who felt that they had been left behind, they somehow didn't get the stories. They saw the other women on the other side of the brook, but they didn't know really how they got over And so they were looking from the other side saying, I wonder how they made it over. And if someone had just told them that there were little rocks right um, in the stream that they could tip over and make it over to the other side, those women would have stood on the other side of the brook only looking over and saying, I wish I could. I hope I could. Uh, Maybe the next generation would. And so part of our own claiming our sense of self, our value is ensuring that that legacy is shared with the generations that are next to us and under us and behind us. Right. And saying you might do it different. You you might not even want to go the route that I'm going. But if you find yourself on this journey there's some holes here, there's some pebbles, there's some things, some ways that you can trample over these things in order to get to the other side. That's the kind of shared learning that that must happen. And that's, I think, is what will push us forward, that we need this transgenerational dialogue that says, I got some wisdom, you got some wisdom, let's bring that wisdom together, and and then we'll we'll be mighty beyond measure
1: keep every, this hursery month, we've been talking about doors. And, um, I think we had a conversation about it last week. Um, why is it that we as women are of power, have the door open and then we shut the door behind us so that we could be the only one there. And I think it's hard. Oh, that's okay. I think it's hard for us to, um, to galvanize when the door is closed on everyone else. How do you, um, well, let me just say it this way How do we galvanize as women in this season?
2: Mm. So, you know, I'm gonna do a shameless plug again for our, our conference that's me coming too. up, uh, partially because the title of the conference is The Hinges Upon Which the Future Swings, the living legacy of womanism as a gateway to our future. And it draws from one of Katie Cannon's, her last article, when she talked about her journey and the ways in which when she first started out as a womanist, a theological ethicist, that there were no books written by black theological texts that were written by black women. So she utilized stories and and novels in order to craft the ways in which black women have been speaking about God for a long time, right? That we've been doing God talk for a long time. And she shapes that and says, as, as she continues in her journey, There were books being written by herself and by other women around her. And she begins to integrate those texts in her courses. And as she moves, she realizes that what she relied on before as she pushed in her journey. Now there were so many books, so so much academic scholarship out there that really she had the opportunity to bring in so many voices that even one syllabus couldn't contain it. And she ends that article saying her students were the hinges upon which the future swings. Part of the conference and part of what I think we can leave with all of us is that we really are the hinges upon which the future swings. That our legacies as we build them and as we maintain and sustain the legacies that we've inherited, we have the potential to really open the door and keep them open in a way that invites all of us in, in a way that says that all of our gifts are valued, and all of our gifts can contribute to what contribute to what we have, and we can do um, this sense of opening the doors to to be a gateway rather than closing the doors and ensuring that these doors only suggest who's in and who's out. I'm about the business of ensuring. That, that, that there are a multiplicity of voices, right? Um, ensuring that there are multiplicity of opportunities for all of us. And anyone who is connected to that sense of being, sense of call and sense of purpose, then ultimately that they're a part of willing to be galvanized in that way.
1: Just wanted to let you know that Dominique, um, Dr. Robinson has posted the link and she please register for this, this conference. I promise you, you will be blessed um, plethora of knowledge, um, information for you, register, copy the link, go back and watch the, watch the replay and copy the link and register.
0: Well, um, Reverend Dr. Melanie Jones, um, thank you so much
1: thank for you. being
0: with us on yeah. today. Wonderful. Um, yeah, your, your conversation is enlightening, um, needed, necessary, um, audience hit the heart buttons, put it in the chat, just tell her thank you Um, for sharing this. And we look forward um, to seeing your PhD published work. And so we are excited and our prayers are with you um, Mm -hmm. as you complete this journey. God bless you. you. Thank
1: Thank
2: you for the invitation. Thank you all so Mm
1: -hmm. much. Are you kidding me? Yes. Um, Next
4: week, um, Dr. Wright, would you like to share with us who's going to be with us next week? Next week, we are going to have none other than my youngest daughter. Her name is Stacia Williams. She is a financial advisor for the Williams Financial Group. She is coming to enlighten us, give us some instruction about our money, ladies. We have to do better than our money. It's time out for having more month at the end of the money than money at the end of the month. We need to be wise stewards with what God has given us. Just because somebody's standing on the corner with a cup saying that they broke don't mean give them everything you got and then miss the house note. We have to be wise with our <laughs> money. Absolutely. So don't miss it. Come prepared your pen and paper so that you can have some good instruction about what to do because there's a shift coming. There's a shift coming in the financial arena and you need to know how to handle
3: it. Awesome. Amen.
0: All right. Thank you all. God bless you. See you next week.
1: Same time, same place.